based on what you do, I'm very interested to hear your definition of what the word intentional means. You've got a core intent and you make sure you deliver on it. Welcome to Intentional Growth, a show that teaches you as a business owner and entrepreneur to view and run your company like a financial asset, which will allow you to enjoy work, create wealth, and make an impact. This mindset will help you focus on building a more valuable business and give you the choices to grow, acquire, reinvest, or exit and live the life you plan for, all with intention. And now here's your host, Ryan Tansom. How's it going, everybody, and welcome back. We are kicking off our last episode of our mini-series on how to achieve ownership and leadership alignment. And my guest today's name is Anthony Taylor, and we're going to be talking about how the process of strategic planning facilitates and impacts the alignment between ownership and leadership. Anthony got his start in entrepreneurship uh, with a couple different startups that ended in some bad partnership breakups, which led him to start SME Strategy Consulting and writing the book, I Wish I Knew, so that way he could help other entrepreneurs see around the corner and get team alignment. And Anthony has a podcast with 220 episodes in, including yours truly, and with around 15,000 YouTube subscribers. And he's done strategic planning for companies like the likes of British Columbia, Xerox, Little Man Ice Cream, Ram Restaurants, and more. And today, Anthony's going to be talking about how strategic planning, if done right, can help owners and leaders align their goals and more importantly, the resources available to help leadership so they can execute the strategic plan ownership and leadership agree upon. And one of the reasons I'm so excited about today's episode and why I put it in this part of the miniseries is because the amount of conversations I have had over the years about entrepreneurs, their leadership team, talking about their BHAGs, you know, the big, hairy, audacious goal, putting their VTO together, having that 10-year goal, their five-year goal, sitting in their CEO peer groups, conference room, boardrooms, talking about all of the things that they want to accomplish, like going from 10 million to 25 million, 25 million to 50 million. We've already covered ad nauseum why revenue is not the ultimate target. It should be a target equity valuation. But even so, so many times people set these big goals, but then they don't talk about what is ownership's requirement for distributions and the available funding after taxes in order to fund the target equity valuation. So today we're going to be talking about how if we've in this mini series identified ownership, ownership's goals, ownership's alignment, so then they can sit down with leadership and you might have both hats and how you can then align leadership's goals for the company and that strategic plan can be based in reality. Like when you do and build your strategic plan, we have to understand how much are those investments going to cost? When are they going to get rolled out? And how does that impact the progress towards the equity target and the ability for ownership to hit their goals? This is not a deep dive in financials. This is just a practical conversation between me and Anthony who facilitates strategic planning on why strategic planning, if done right, facilitates the alignment between the team and the ownership, then then you can roll this into an EOS system if you want so you can execute it. But I think it's just a great conversation about how alignment can happen when everybody gets on the same page about where their company's going to go once everybody determines what ownership needs in order to make it worth it for ownership. And speaking of ownership, you've been hearing me talk a lot about how to grow and view and run the company like a financial asset. And now we have an intentional growth financial scorecard that takes less than five minutes and it scores you in four different areas. The number one area is financial data management and organization. The second area is monthly financial package and performance monitoring. Third one is strategic budgeting and forecasting. And fourth one is equity growth valuation and ownership. And you get a custom response on how well you did in each of those areas. Thing and suggestions on things you can do differently. And on the results page, we have five videos where I pull from the Intentional Growth Academy the videos of a case study of what good looks like so you don't have to just wonder. So check out the Intentional Growth Financial Scorecard in the show notes. And without further ado, here's my interview with Anthony Taylor. 
You ever found yourself in your office after an executive meeting and you're sitting there going, I have huge decisions to make, whether it's hiring that next key employee, buying that next piece of machinery, buying a building, launching a location or product or whatever it might be, and you're sitting there going, is this the right decision? And then you think back about the original vision you had when you started the business or the vision you have right now that you know is possible in the marketplace, and you sit there and go, how do you know and how do I know that what I'm doing is the right thing when realistically you have the option to just take all the money home and solve for annual cash flow and essentially just have a job that's kicking out a lot of cash. The reason that you would do all those things is because you want to grow a company that's worth a bunch of money that gives you the freedom of choices to do what you want long term. Whether that's take a back seat and be a passive investor, whether that's sell part of it or some of it, essentially just have as many choices as you want but what we find is that most times entrepreneurs and business owners are solving for annual cash flow because they don't know how to measure and monitor the value of the business and where they are today and how what they're investing and doing is growing a more valuable business and how to measure that into the future. And I had experienced the exact same thing. I ran a family business that was doing 20 million in revenue, 100 and some employees. And my dad and I had this constant conversation back and forth about what we should be doing and where we should be going, but we never really knew whether what we were spending our time and money on was making us progress towards that eventual goal of having a valuation that we wanted that gave us the choices. So then you have to sit there and go, maybe I should just take the money home or I should just hope and pray. That is exactly why we created this financial assessment because if you organize your financials in a certain way and we have this financial foundation with four components, you take this assessment, it's 22 questions, you don't need your financials and at the end result of it, there's a results page where Pat, my partner and I walk through five videos to show you a case study of what good looks like and how to actually project out the future value of the company and how you can make the, the decision's clear today to say, if I do these things, what's the impact on cash flow today, my ability to fund my growth, take the distributions, pay for taxes, all while staying in line, progressing towards the valuation that I want. So go take the assessment below and I hope you enjoy. Good morning, Anthony. How are you? I'm doing awesome, brother. How about you? We have, quote unquote, flipped the mic, if that's how we want to... <laughs> Right. Technically, we're in the same position, just in a uh, different software. But I'm very excited to have you on my show. Uh, you were gracious enough to have me as a guest. And uh, you have an interesting business that I'm excited to to peel apart. But it sounds like when, we, when you and I were chatting, that you have a similar experience that led you to create the business that you have created. And so why don't you just give everybody just a quick flyby, Anthony, of kind of what you're what you're doing now, kind of the couple of milestones that got you here. And, and we don't have to do the whole recap because then we can go back and unpack it. Sweet. Okay. So hi, everybody. My name is Anthony Taylor. I run a company called SME Strategy. Uh, we travel around to different strategic planning offsites and help teams, you know, work through uh, their issues, make sure they're clear on where they want to go. We call it one destination. Um, yesterday, I counted that I've been at physically 17 different states to deliver our alignment program, but home is Vancouver, Canada. My uh, technical background is I'm a waiter. I used to work in hospitality bar and restaurants, uh, but in the process, I had a couple startups. I uh, own two coffee shops. I partnered with it in the ESL school. I put on, I say rock concerts, ESL school, coffee shop, web startups. I've written two books, one on strategy, one on entrepreneurship. And uh, my business partner ripped me off for a whole bunch of money. And uh, then I started SME Strategy to help uh, entrepreneurs with things they don't see waiting around the corner. And that's what led me to today. So, yeah, like we said, there's a lot to unpack, right? <laughs> so wh where did you start to have the entrepreneurial itch? Was it embedded in your family? You know, how did you decide that that was, I mean, because the reason, Anthony, I'm asking this question kind of weirdly is I used to ask like, hey, how did you decide to become an entrepreneur? And like nine out of 10 people, like I never decided to, it kind of just happened. <laughs> so mm. now I'm just trying to, I ask it in a different way, but I'm kind of curious how you went from waiter to like, hey, I want to actually jump in and you know, own my own destiny. Oh man. Okay. So this was the plan from day one. So uh, I've got two versions. The, the one version is I said, okay, I'm at, ironically, I'm a very strategic. So I said, okay, what am I going to do? What's going to pay me the most amount of money? And I said, bartenders make the most amount of money per hour. Uh, so let's do that. Uh, what pays the most amount of money after that? It's a consultant. So let's do that. So my trajectory was always there. 
but I actually don't care about money. I could really care less about it. It's kind of a means to an end. But what really happened was when I was uh, younger, my parents uh, divorced. And one of the reasons they divorced is because both of them were teachers. My dad had to work at nighttime. My mom worked in the day. And they just weren't at the house at the same time taking care of me and my brother at the same time. And I decided, I said, you know what? I am going to have freedom so that when I have a kid, I can spend time with them on my terms and I can spend time with my wife. So now, happily, I have a nine-month-old kid. He's amazing and he's super cool. Then I reflect on that all the time. I say, you know, I might not have the kajillions of dollars that I would have written in my vision plan. Uh, The company's going amazing and I'm living out my dreams truly. Uh, but the reason was to have financial freedom. So I didn't tell you about the lemonade stands and the newspaper delivery and selling, you know, glasses of Coke at a, at a golf course and that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's always been the plan. It's always been in the DNA and it was always towards being able to have, uh, as much freedom as possible. So, which I love because I think a lot of us do, you know, try to control our destiny and have that freedom. And we kind of, grab the dragon's tail and then and then we get on this roller coaster and so how did you start with the coffee shops and like how did you like how were you navigating like what to focus on what business to pick and how like how how did you uh approach that yeah i'll say the coffee shop business the esl school business so what happened was and this is really you know open up the door but uh, there was a guy who was a bartender at and he came into our bar all the time and he said, Hey, you know, uh, I've got this business and I, you know, I need some help. And at the time my dad had passed and left a small inheritance to us. And, uh, I said, cool. Well, I just happened to have, you know, seed money and I was a dumb and ambitious kid. And so I invested into this person's business, you know, not knowing it was a scam, but sidebar at the time Madoff was ripping off people 10, 20, 30 times smarter and richer than me. So I feel less bad about it, but basically there was just an opportunity. I thought it was cool in, in it. I still believe. So it was an ESL school. It was in Vancouver and it was in 2006. It was a really good business. There were tons of ESL students, English as a second language. And so I was like, cool, this makes sense to me in my brain. And then the recession happened, tourism was shut down. And so I still think it was a good business, but the person I was working with, I think was a little shady. So yeah. And then the coffee shop business was kind of throwing good money after bad, trying to just like parlay that into something else. Mm -hmm. We had some opportunities. We went through that. So none of it was really by choice. Uh, per se, um, with the exception of when I put on rock concerts with my buddy, because we just like doing that. And I'm like, well, why don't you just make money doing stuff that you love? So yeah, alternative rock. We talked about that the last time. So yeah, <laughs> <Right>. it was, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. that's awesome. So, you, you know, I'm, I, we talk, you, you know, you have a lot about alignment with what you're doing with your business. And we talk a lot about alignment. I'm actually doing a mini series here about that. And you know, what is it with your business partner where you guys didn't have alignment and you wrote a book called I Wish I Knew. And so I'm just kind of maybe give us some of the gold nuggets as far as like, what is it that you wish you knew? And then what were some of the things that you did not see around the corner? Oh, man, well, I wish he knew. I wish I knew he was a scumbag. I the 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 thing that I so what ended up happening, we had an accountant. And I thought the accountant was working for me or us, but he was working for him. So the accountant was fudging the numbers so that when we were looking at the reports, you know, he was pulling out cash. So like trust, but verify is just so important. You know, I'm a, I'm a trusting person for sure, but man, like that suck. And so I just like, you know, I, one of the other lessons in the book was, you know, get a lawyer. Like had I had a good lawyer review the contract that would have had a better legal leg to stand on. If I had a better accountant, not a glorified bookkeeper, I would have had better information there and they would have had like a kind of an ethical note. This person was not ethical. And so you know, there was just a, a series of things that were going on there. At the same time, I had a younger brother. He was 20 years old. I say he passed of cancer at the same time. So mm. I wasn't 100% head into the business. I didn't have anybody looking out for my best interest. Um, and so just kind of all three of those things conspired at the same time. Um, to a really good lesson learned. But I, I, I think patience was something that I wish I had more of a mentor. Um, you know, like they say that if you give somebody a bunch of money, they're going to lose it because they didn't earn it. I didn't earn that money. I, I lost a good amount of it, which sucks. Um, I it didn't lose all of it, but you know, it was just, it's a tough lesson and one that I'm just kind of trying to claw back from every day. So what, it, that is, um, 
Yeah. <laughs> I could just feel it. Yeah, man. <clears throat> Every, I think there's a lot of people probably listening that have had their own partnership stuff too. And I, I'm curious on uh, the passing of your brother. How, how did that impact your calibration of your long-term vision of what, <clears throat> excuse me, of what you wanted for the business and what you were focused on? I don't know if it actually had an impact, to be honest, as I think about it, like I say, hey, like, mm-hmm. what, what was the reflection? I mean, uh, on one hand, on one hand, I've had a lot of people pass away because my dad passed, my brother passed, my grandpa passed, uncle passed, like all in a very short amount of time. And so I think it gave me a really good appreciation for people and understanding. So if, you know, we tie it back to alignment, we tie it back to the work that I do, uh, I can kind of see layers into people. And I've never ever said that or, or thought mm-hmm. about it that way, but just like really getting to the core of, of what's there. It's also had me do a lot of internal work on myself just to kind of like heal and feel better, um, which again, helps me connect with people. So the work I do in leading executives, I can really talk straight to them because I've kind of got flat with dealing with all of my own shit. And I'll tell you that, you Mm -hmm. know, we record this in 2023, you know, this has been 15 years of dealing with my stuff to get me to where I am now. So don't, if you're dealing with grief, it takes a long time. It's not an easy thing and getting ripped off is also grief. But when you come out of it, it helps give you some tools to hopefully contribute to the people around you. So let's talk about what what are those tools that you've been working on creating and leveraging to help other people see around the corner? And like, how are you taking like, you know, what are the things that people need to be thinking about? So that way, they can make sure that they're avoiding it or staying on track to essentially what what their long term destination is. Okay, Uh, first of all, if you want to know, you can't get to where you don't know where you're going. So one of the things, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I advise, well, we're, we have that in common, but from a different kind of lens, but, you know, looking and say, Hey, what is the end in mind that you want? And at a, at a fixed point in time, a guy named Cameron Harold calls it a vivid vision. Um, and say like, if success was a place, how would you know if you got there? So, you know, write it down on a piece of paper and say in 2026, I will be this or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then work backwards to do that. So that's one of the things about like a forward looking piece. One of the tools we use in our strategic planning process is a risk analysis. If you hope for the best and expect the worst, I think you have a good ability to build a plan. So in your plan, look at all of the things that are going to get in the way and then prioritize based on your risks, not on your wants. So a lot of people say, oh, we need to focus on this or like want to focus on this, this, Mm -hmm. this. But we say, hey, Focus on getting rid of those roadblocks uh, Mm. first so that you have a clear path to get to where you want to get to. So those are some of the tools Mm -hmm. within strategic planning. And it's kind of, I kind of think about that, like a barbell investing, like with Nassim Taleb, you know, you've got like cover your basics and everything that you have to. And then you've got the other side where you're able to then place your bets to get you where you want to go. What, so and before, as we dive into your what your guys are doing now, your strategic planning, you know, strategic planning is two are two words that like what the hell do they mean? I think a lot of <laughs> a lot of people are like, you know, I've had I've had a couple people on over the years, Anthony, where we've talked about strategic planning, but you know, I think specifically with the, the audiences that I speak in front of, it's like, hey, they they picture like this fifty thousand page or fifty thousand dollar binder that they created after eight months of misery. And or it gets blended in with EOS traction. And so like, I want to hear your definition of strategic planning, then we can kind of synthesize this against maybe some of the other concepts that people are familiar with. Sweet. Well, I can't wait. I'm going to clip this right now because I've never actually talked about because there's actually so many videos from HBR and that's of what is strategic planning and that it's a misnomer or it's a lie as, as far as people say. Okay, let's look at the word strategic. Strategic is just about choices. What are you doing and what are you not doing? That's it. You can't do everything. You don't have enough time, money, energy, so you have to focus. That's the strategic part. The planning means that you don't react to stuff, that you respond to things as needed, but you actually make a plan to make those choices. Entrepreneurs have shiny object syndrome. They kind of bounce from here to there to here to there. As organizations grow, it's harder to kind of navigate that ship because you have then 10 employees to lead, 30 employees to lead, 100 employees to lead. And so you can't change your mind willy-nilly. So strategic planning is just the act of looking at what choices you want to make, building a plan to executing on it, and adapting as necessary. 
one of the couple videos that are out there, we say, well, strategic planning isn't really planning because X, Y, Z reason. You're not looking at constraints. You're not looking at risk. You're not looking at that. Well, that's why our aligned strategy development model actually incorporates all of those things to make strategic planning not a fallacy. Mm. If it's just, hey, here's where we want to go. Let's go there. Then that's not, that's just acting. And so we have to look at constraints. We have to look at the landscape. We have to look at internally. We have to look at our challenges. We have to choose, which means saying no to stuff. If you're not mm-hmm. saying no to anything, you're not strategic planning. So that's the yeah. biggest difference with, with how we look at it and how we challenge teams to think differently about strategic planning. I, I love that, man, because um, it's, uh, you know, I've, I, I, for years, Anthony, it's like I, I think about strategic planning or like even EOS, which I love, uh, everything has their benefits. So I, like, as I'm about to say this, I'm not, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but with EOS or strategic planning or sales and marketing or any consultants, if you're not looking at the constraints, you're like, you're just like hoping it's like, well, I want to do this. And I'm like, well, if you have no capital, like, how are you going to fund that? What if you need the distributions and you're sucking all the money out, then it's like, you're doing this whole exercise that is just not based in reality. So mm-hmm. how, how did you find that that was a necessary part of the, of the process? Uh, that's a great question. I don't know the answer. Uh, I think so. First of all, EOS. EOS is great. Like It's great for a lot of reasons and a lot of tools. And it, the foundations of what we do, like we didn't invent strategic planning. Neither did EOS. But they're great for the right, if you need the right tool for the right job. What we do differently in e- compared to EOS is the people side of it, because I think people are the biggest gap to implementation because it's not as easy as just doing a bunch of stuff. It's a lot of it is the mental game. A lot of it is the understanding. So if you talk about the finances, you know, you could have somebody who's like, let's blow through all the cash. You could have somebody who's just like, let's just bring a bunch of cash in. That'll solve everything. And it's like, no, no, you're just going to spend it faster. So the context of people is critical to the plan. So that's one. Um, mm. and, and I just think as I look over here, I've got my bookshelf with like 40, 50, 60, 70 books. And that's an understatement. I just read a crap load and synthesized everybody's life experience. I mean, that's the great thing about doing podcasts. We're at 200 something episodes. Yours is dropping shortly, which I can't wait for. Yeah. Uh, but just listening to people in their life experience and my own life experience, optimism is not going to get you to where you want to go. <laughs> I'm laughing, man, because I have definitely thought that that was the answer for many, many chunks of my life. Um, and you're right. Uh, so why did you pick strategic planning as the method that you in the topic that you wanted to talk about to help others? Anthony? like what was the, if you were to choose and I don't know if you had other options of things you could have chose to the other horses you could have rode. Uh, well, first of all, I'm loving the questions. These are such good questions. So I got to say kudos to you, Ryan, for being a dope interviewer. Uh, so when I was uh, in my career, and then I think it was maybe like, well, 15 years ago or something, there was basically two options. One is be a consultant. And actually, that's still one option. And everybody was doing social media. And I was like, okay, social media, like, oh, it's gonna, I'm like, I don't want to be 40 or 50 doing social media. Like, uh-uh, it's not just not going to work for me. So already I was thinking long term. But what was really happening was uh, I love business, a business degree. I uh, was helping people write business plans. I just knew about business because I had lived it. I had loved it. I, I do it. And it was a passion. I was doing business plans and doing marketing plans. I'm a marketing guy by trade. And so there was kind of a confluence between marketing strategy, which is very mm-hmm. natural. You mm-hmm. see the social media piece. And then business plans, which is kind of more holistic. I was doing a bunch of those and uh, a mentor of mine said, you're going to starve charging people $500, $1,000 for business plans. You're never going to grow. You're never going to get to where you want to go. I said, interesting. At the same time, I was on the board of a couple of nonprofits and they were ass backwards. And that's probably not very fair, but we'll call it, we had very well-intentioned people moving in a bunch of different directions. And we, and we did an offsite. And I, there was a facilitator who came in and led us through this conversation. And I'm like, oh, I could do that. And so it, at the time, we were working to like kind of solve homelessness in the downtown east side and support the business community and that kind of stuff. But I said, well, why couldn't I do this for people? And I'll tell you the last thing, and then I'll shut up for a second, mm-hmm. is that my first client ever. So I just decided that I was doing strategic planning, which was kind of live business planning, but adapted. 
Yeah. And a client hired me in Smithers, British Columbia. That was my first client ever. Smithers, British Columbia. You can look it up. It's up north. Um, shout out to Summit Camps. Um, <laughs> and the flight was five hundred, no, six hundred and seventy-five dollars to get to Smithers, BC, in the winter. And I said, well, if they're going to spend six hundred bucks to fly me somewhere, why wouldn't? That's the same price to fly anywhere in the continental U.S. I could fly to Florida for that same price. So. There's no reason if these folks would pay for it, why wouldn't somebody else? And so that's why I did it. I don't work in my community. I work international. Uh, the furthest I've ever gone is I did the set, the strategic plan for the Reserve Bank of Fiji. So the country of Fiji, no their way. Reserve Bank. Yeah, I did their strategic plan. Uh, flew there. It was dope. But yeah, so just like yeah, helping. Well, I was going to say, well, well-placed client, my friend. <laughs> there, there, there are worse ones. I got, I got a tan. I got a Bula shirt. Also, shout out to RBF. Uh, shout out to like the Bank of Fiji. Those guys are really cool friends that I still have to today. Um, but yeah, it just kind of evolved in in opportunities. But if you have a clear vision of where you want to go, the opportunities find themselves because you're looking for them. And I think that's another critical part of why long-term thinking is beneficial. So, okay, yeah, I, I want to pull on that thread too because – and, and before – so I want to pull on the thread of getting that clear vision of the long-term. So, But I want to plant the seed, Anthony, about the alignment of ownership and leadership mm-hmm. and how you're getting the people alignment. But I want to table that for a second because – I find as far as clarifying the long-term goals, I've always been a long-term thinker too. Like, I mean, like 30-year goals and then, and, and, and it's it really, it's been very fascinating for me to realize that that's not as common as mm-hmm. I, as I would have thought. And there, obviously a lot of people listening and probably think more towards that angle as well. But when you really get people to start to think long-term, it's not, you have to enable that and then like help them, you know, plant some seeds and water in it. So I'm curious on like, what are the challenges you see in people coming up with that long-term vision? Then I want to kind of get into then how you actually do that. Okay. Uh, I think everybody has a different time horizon. Uh, some people are visionaries and it, uh, we've got a friend who does the Clifton Strengths Finder out in Denver. And some people are strategic and visionary and they think like that. That's in their strength zone. Some people are very, very detail oriented. They think short term. They look at risks, uh, very detailed. They need every single step. So people are wired differently in their thinking. But by and large, I think most people can see three years down the road. Mm. Uh, A lot of people talk about five years strategic plans, 10 years strategic plans. We don't do them unless it's a special scenario. Uh, The University of British Columbia, we did their plan. It was 10 years. That made sense. Most people can think three years down the road. So it's aligning the perspective. If you think of your team or teams, Mm -hmm. if you're from a plane, you have a 30,000 foot view, you've got a big picture, not a lot of detail. If you're in a microscope, you've got a lot of detail, but not a lot of the big picture. And so it's balancing that time horizon so that Mm -hmm. everybody on your team can see enough of the picture for them to feel comfortable to say, yep, I'm going to take the next step going to that place. Super cool, man. I love that. Um, So then talking about the choices and like, because like, I think my experience with other people, because I've done some strategic planning uh, engagements in the past, we don't do that. Um, But what I found very fascinating, and this really creeps up from the EOS community of like, I have a strategic plan. And like, it's taken me years, Anthony. It's like, those are goals. Mm. Like 5 million, 10 million, that's a goal. And like, Mm. there's like then tasks. But like, and how I think about this with our old business or even the ones that I, like our business right now is we're constantly tweaking and modifying our services and enhancing and listening to the marketplace. But my old business is so easy because it was like, to, as an example, whereas copiers and print. And then like, then all these industries converge from data hosting to VoIP to software automation. And then it's like, well, we should just do all these things because our client wants it. Mm. <laughs> right. And failure different comp plans different business models different cash flow conversion cycles like and i learned that all the freaking hard way dude lots of money lots of pain lots of just yes so when i think about the difference between goals of like revenue goals and stuff versus the choices mm-hmm. and you know like and i think about like exercise like ansas matrix or like the uh, bcg matrix or whatever like, like i'm curious for you like how like maybe explain to us like the choices and how do you calibrate that long-term view for someone of like what that what the business could look like especially if the industry is evolving changing 
and you're not just guessing. So you're probably going through a process. Is the question making some sense? I get it for sure. So okay, cool. uh, I, I, I actually, I've never had a hater before, but I had one person hate on our process. Cause he said, it's too simple. Like you need all of this stuff. And I'm like, for 95% of people, they don't need a complex process. They just need to figure it out. Uh, there's a famous philosopher, Ron Swanson, who says, don't half-ass two things, whole-ass one thing. And so in your Please tell me you're talking about Parks and Rec, Ron yeah, Swanson. Yeah. I'm, I'm, saying, well, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, oh, 90% sure he's talking about that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so often, and this is, you know, this is my personal and professional opinions. Look, often you're probably not going to make the wrong choice that bad because it's a coin mm-hmm. flip. The problem is when you try to do two or three things, it's like, if you do that thing, it's probably going to get you close. Now, if you're a multi-billion dollar business and you have to decide if you're going to build your next condo development or mall in Spokane or Arizona or Boise, Idaho, or something like that, yes, do more data and research. But if you're kind of saying, hey, you know, should I invest $5,000 in this training program or that training program? Or, you know, should I be focused on sales in this area or that area? You don't need complex modeling because most of the time, the decision accuracy is not the thing that's going to hold you back. It's the execution. How about like, I'm I'm tracking you, but I want to throw something in there to hear your feedback is what about if it's like adding different products or services. So like I had a home remodeling client where it was like, Hey, we do, you know, kitchens and baths really well. Should we do exterior or not? Or like with ours, it was copiers and print. And it was like, essentially, I'll give you the the exact example. It's like, Hey, we sold boxes, man. And then Mm -hmm. it was like, Hey, we're going to then sell entire technology roadmaps. Well, guess what? Copier sales reps, by the way, aren't very good at building a technology roadmap. And they're used to making huge chunks of a commission up front, not, building a book of business. So like I learned that after like a couple million dollars and a shitload of complications and conflict. I understand. So it's a very, it's a complex answer. Okay. So uh, I think where it goes down to is skills, abilities, aptitude, needs, and wants. So uh, just, just real simple. Your company, every company has had to evolve. Okay, every big company started off selling one thing and it's mm-hmm. one thing and if they probably did that one thing well, then they introduced a business line, either on purpose or by accident. I mean, you look at uh, Slack started off as like an internal messaging component for like a video game. Shopify was just trying to be a ski brand store. Uh, like people have these like ridiculous stories of how their companies came to be because they pivoted. Now, I'm not going to overuse the word pivot. But let's say you have a business and you say, hey, I would like to add another business line. Does it align with your organization's mission, the reason why you exist? And does it help you get to your vision where you're going? If it doesn't, don't do it. If it does, great, do it. But if you add a business line, is your entire, and I'm going to use the word value stream, set up to do it? Do you have unique skills and capabilities and aptitudes and strengths within your total supply chain to Mm -hmm. actually deliver what you can deliver? Some of those things make a lot of sense. I'm selling hamburgers. I can sell fries. I have the infrastructure. It's a natural upsell. Let's do that. I sell strategic planning services. It might make sense to sell courses or books. You know, if you're selling copiers, then it might make sense to might makes sense to sell data integrated because then right. that's part of the business model. But I think the key thing, it goes down to what's the model and oh, what's right. the revenue yeah, stream. I, I'm, I don't know. I'm like distracted by it. I don't know this morning, but uh, you ever listen to Mitch Hedberg? Uh, so he's a comedian from back in the day, but he was talking about McDonald's. He's like, you know, the, he said something about, yep, we sell hamburgers and blankets. <laughs> and it was just like, he's this joke about getting out of your core competency or something like that. But you're totally right. Cause like we ended up selling water filtration units. So mm-hmm. IT services was like half a, half a point of correlation away, but like the water services was so ridiculously out of the realm of everything you just mentioned. But we saw some consultant at a trade show would talk about it. So naturally we decided to do it because the consultants are always right. And I think about that's just a difficult 
process of filtering out because you hear your peers doing it in your industry or, or, you know, you hear a consultant and it's trying to figure out, okay, what is it that we're actually good at and how does this actually fit? I mean, like from their customers to your business model, to your financials, I mean, everything it's a, it's so hard. Yeah. So uh, first of all, like F everybody else, I mean, forget everybody else, but uh, (laughs) this is why as a facilitator, I'm not a consultant. I don't tell people what to do now for every like hey you should shouldn't do this story i'm sure that there's a dozen you should and it worked out well if you had gone into the water business and it would have been spectacularly successful because you're better at selling water than you were at copiers you'd think you were a freaking genius whereas everybody would have told you you were crazy yeah, yeah yeah so the people who didn't invest in uber the people who didn't invest in any thousands of technologies like Monday morning quarterback's really easy. I think the key uh, piece is, does it align with what you've got built? Because there was something, it's like, hey, I want to buy a camera. And I think it was like, like let's call it Kawasaki. Oh, I want to buy a motorcycle. Great. Well, I want to buy a Toshiba or a, a piano. Well, aren't you in luck? Like Kawasaki or one of those <laughs> companies builds those two very, very different things. But it's not the product that's made them successful. It's their distribution, their mm. design thinking, their all of that stuff. Now, if you look at Apple, for example, they've built this platform that you can't escape. I've got my iPhone. I've got mm-hmm. my iMac. I've got my watch. Those are very, very closely related products because that's their business strategy. Amazon, if you look at Amazon on its own, books digitally shipping water things they're very different but that evolution took a very very long time they want to be the everything to everyone and they've done it good so i think it's just important looking at iterative steps making sure the jump isn't too far not just for you but for your customers because i Mm -hmm. would know you and say hey you're a financial expert but if you come back and tell me hey anthony uh you know now i'm selling energy drinks you better have a damn good reason for it otherwise your customer is a totally different customer which means it's a totally different business which means then you're just doing two different things and half-assing two things but well, some I, people also have no no it's a, it's a fantastic fantastic uh reply and i, I think you know how that actually manifests and i you know a decade ago i didn't understand this because i didn't do what i do now but the what it actually does is it sucks the cash resources and your people's resources away. So people are like, Oh, I'm doing this, but I'm, you know, how many times have you heard about, I'm taking a half a million dollars out of company a that I have and putting it over to company B. And so they're starving all the resources from their one main mothership so they can try this other thing. And, and neither of them are going very well because they're both starved of resources and they're not tied to some long-term equity goal that someone has. Yeah, I think the key part is, and again, I'm, I'm not going to, there's people way smarter than me. No, I wouldn't say, actually, there's people who are, I think, objectively dumber than me or less intelligent, more precisely, who have multiple disparate businesses and they do it just fine. They own a restaurant, you know, like I have a client and I like him. He is smarter than me, much smarter than me. So shout out Paul in Denver. He owns a real estate development company, an alcohol company, an ice cream company. And he's got like two other things going on and he is smarter than me, but those are very, very disparate and he makes them work. So different strokes for different folks. Uh, Some people like the challenge and the diversity and for them, that's what they need. For me, I'm way too simple. I can't do that. And so it's just not in my strength zone or in my execution strength. So let's, let's take that then back to my earlier seed that I planted of getting the alignment and extracting out of the visionary founder, CEO, whatever that person is, that's kind of the, the helm and then their team. How do you extract what they're good at, their mindset, what the operations and the, the executive team wants to do to kind of tie them to what the essentially the 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 long term goal of making sure everybody's aligned so that way you're eliminating the the flashy object syndrome and or the people that say hey that sounds great but like I don't want to participate because I really like what we're doing now I mean obviously you got a lot of cooks in the kitchen when you're doing this Minnesota Timberwolves they're building a team based on their strengths based on their coaching to accomplish their goal and sometimes it takes a long time and sometimes you can do it really fast. Now, I say Minnesota Timberwolves because you're in Minnesota, but <laughs> and, and any sports team is a good example. You have to make sure you've got the right personnel to complement each other. A different, your CEO style is different than mine, probably similar, but different. Someone else's is going to be different. Some people are command and control. Some people are very democratic. Some people are big picture thinkers and they need people to clean up their messes. Some people are super detail oriented finance dudes and gals. And, you know, it, it works. 
It's about building the right team to accomplish the right dream. That's cheesy, but I'll put it on a t-shirt. Uh, <laughs> and so you just need to make sure you've got the right people in the right seats at the right time, Jim Collins, to get you to where you want to go. And depending on the vision, it's going to be different. Uh, I'll reference Cameron Harold real quick. He was working for 1-800-GOT-JUNK, I think it was. He was the COO. And once the company got to a billion dollars, he got let go. Not because he wasn't good, because he wasn't the guy. And this is his story, so definitely not mine. Great interviewee, by the way. But it's just interesting that even at that level, you could be super good, but you might not be the right person. And you might not have the right people on your team to get you from point A to point B. Some people are great startup scrappy people. Some people are maintain people. Some people are growth people. And some people are transformation people. So you got to recognize who you've got and what they want to do. If you've got uh, maintain maintenance mode people and you try to put them in a scrappy startup mode, they're not going to be successful because it's not in their strength zone to do mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. So, okay. I love that. I've got a, another concept I want to volley back your way. Cause I think as we then get into the constraints, Anthony, and part of the, the, the themes that I've been really riding this last half year to a year is ownership the people that own the financial asset have to figure out what the hell they want. So like, if, again, I love how you said at a fixed point in time, we need to reverse engineer the normalized EBITDA and the equity valuation that we want, because then we'll be able to see the roadmap on the way there financially, right? At least like a base case. But what I think is the, crucial about that point A and point B filter is the ownership group has to determine how much freaking distributions that they want on the way to that point B, because then that's going to identify how much capital we can reinvest because you got to pay your taxes. So essentially, we're trying to get to this like, hey, how much capital do we have to generate what value over what period of time? It's just <laughs> we have to start there. And the reason I say from the ownership side, because then when you get to the, like a process like what you're doing, what do we have available? And, and I'm curious, like, let's say you had that laid out. Like, you know, hey, point A, point B, here's what we've got for reinvestment. And then you, as you were re relating to then the people, the types of people that you have, and then also the, uh, the, um, where is it? Oh, I'm sorry. Shit. Uh, it's the types of people, but then also the, um, oh, the stage of the business that you were talking about, mm -hmm. whether you're high growth, which consumes capital. So I'm going to, you know, speak finance on the way. So growth consumes capital, maintain, you might have more cash flow because you're not consuming it, but that will impact, be impacted based on what the owner wants. Mm -hmm. So how do you factor in those constraints because so many people that i've come across don't and it's like they do that whole strategic planning process and it's like well the owners are sucking all the cash out and so this is all just bullshit like they just made up all these goals does that make sense like yep. i'm curious on yep. how you guys how you guys go through that uh it's i, I just did a video about communication and, and communication disconnects okay and, and it talks about the misalignment <coughs> of wants needs and desires so mm. your actions have to back up your goals if you want high growth, well, you got to pay for high growth. Think about like a spaceship going into space. It uses 90% of its fuel just getting out of the atmosphere. Okay. So that is kind of the same, the mm -hmm. same thinking. Um, the first thing that came to mind, if you want high, like you, the mentality of the people, my self thing, and don't at me, but architects and architects might not, or artists might not love working with you because what drives them is not the bottom line. Whereas if you work with, uh, private equity, their only measure of success is that thing. So it, that's what they're aiming for. So if you're not aiming at anything, going back to my original and kind of posit that you're never going to get there, you need to make sure that you're giving enough energy to the thing you're going to accomplish. Last thing I'll say about this, because I talk mm -hmm. in metaphors, if you haven't gathered. I love it. If you're trying to drive a thousand miles away, do you have enough gas to get you to that thousand miles? If you don't, change the destination or get more money for gas. And so you just need to have <laughs> realistic. So awesome. Yeah. Just need a realistic expectation for where you want to go. The number one way to kill your team's motivation is to not give them the resources they need to be successful because they oh, will know it's awesome. already a lost cause and they're going to give up. So, Anyways, if there's disconnect, no, no, that's or perfect, dude. Okay. And the, the reason I was laughing so much is in the intentional growth Academy, the the entire metaphor that I use is what is the target equity valuation you want at a point in time? And I'll have to send you a picture of this, but I put a point B out there and then I actually have a car 
as point A and the car is the company and I have a green gas tank and the green gas tank is the working capital. And then I have milestones, which are the years. And then the two lanes are salary and distributions. <laughs> so like you were, you were spot on, but what's so funny, Anthony, of how ridiculously common it is that, the, that what, what you're talking about is I, in a, one of my most recent Vistage workshops is, and it was a key executive workshop. I'm like, raise your hand. If, you have an ownership group that has given you like a $40 million value or $40 million revenue because not often it's valuation. It's usually a $40 million revenue. And then the ownership group is sucking all the cash out and they still expect you to hit the goal. And laughter happens, which means think about how destructive it is for that, for the culture and for everybody. Everybody knows like we don't have enough money to fund this growth. Yeah. Like, I, it, the, the, the question in a strategy session is when you t- you have to tie resource allocation to the plan. So what most people don't want to do is, and I also joke about Minnesota nice, is that they don't want to cause conflict. <laughs> and so, like, it occurs as conflict by asking a challenge question. I'm a CEO. I do not like to be challenged. But when the person on my team who does it, it, it helps us make a better plan. So your hand should go right up. As soon as the vision is there, it's okay, great. Are we allocating sufficient resources to get us there? Otherwise, change the goal. Uh, golden triangle, good, fast, or cheap. Pick mm-hmm. two. So if you want it to be good, so you have your equity valuation, do you want it to be fast or do you want it to be thrifty? Because if it wants to be thrifty and we're going to pull the cash out, well, we might get there, but it might take us you know, 30 years because we're going to have to push the car across the line versus if you want to get there in two years, a la private equity, then let's let's put some fuel on the fire. The problem with a lot of startup businesses is they do the good and fast, but they don't have the financial or business acumen, so they end up lighting a lot of cash on fire uh, mm-hmm. because they're not even trying to get profit they're just trying to get valuation and that's where the disconnect with like startup world happens and and i think also with the founder syndrome too is the lifestyle creep where they it's above and beyond the salary and they're needing the distributions i mean like i have more clients than i could think of over the years anthony where it's like for they they would have been a perfect target this is back uh previous business but like perfect target for any any acquisition uh entrepreneur or private equity or whoever because the amount of distributions that they needed to maintain their lifestyle above and beyond their salary was so ridiculous that like mm. they weren't allocating any resources into that business. And so the car in that, in my company example was just, it was tattering and they had all these expectations. And I'm curious on like, how do you guys actually go into that? Cause like you're connecting it to the constraints and that that's one of my biggest concerns about other systems out there. It's like, it's the, they're not tying it to that. So how do you guys go about making sure that in I'm assuming the constraints could not only be the, uh, the cash, but it could be the, the skill sets of the people. Cause like to your point, there could have been people in my old industry, the water division would have been perfectly made sense. And actually I do know a couple of companies where they did based on just the people. So how do you assess the constraints and whether that company is capable of achieving what they want based on the constraints that they have? Okay, well, since we're almost 50 minutes into our interview, people have probably gathered I'm a no bullshit kind of guy, then here's my no bullshit answer to the first part of the question is, if it's a kind of person who is sucking cash from the business, they're probably not spending forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 to have a strategy meeting in the first place because they'll see that as a cost versus an investment. So most of those people aren't talking to us uh, because it's just expensive to get all your senior leaders in a room and to ask them what they want. So they probably won't even waste the air of asking their senior executives what they want because if they did and they kept doing dumb shit that the executives would leave because they say, well, it doesn't matter what I'm saying. I'm going to get out of here. So that's the first thing. We don't encounter many of those because they're putting the money up. They're putting the energy up. They want it to happen. Uh, but in terms awesome. of the the people, it's you're going to share a vision and the vision is going to be there. And either the people are going to want to go there and they'll stay and they work or they won't want to go there and they'll quit. And I have, like not surprisingly a lot, but through the strategic planning process, I see people quit either because they don't want to go to that vision, which is fine because it raises the bar and they don't want to lift to that bar. They don't think they can. Or along the journey, they say the leader is not holding up their end of the deal. I'm putting all of this work in. I'm doing everything. My team is doing everything, but the boss, they're not doing their thing. 
to I'm not following this mm-hmm. leader anymore to get to where they want to go. I'm leaving the journey and I'm going to go somewhere else where I have more trust. Um, we had someone that we knew recently. They did their strategic plan. Actually, they didn't do their strategic plan. They set their vision in isolation. They rolled it out to the team and they lost their COO because they didn't get buy-in. The mm-hmm. COO said, I'm not going here. This is not what I signed up for and I'm out. And it didn't take very long. So if you see people quit managers, not jobs, that's why. Mm-hmm. So you got to back yeah, it one, up. It, yeah, no, I love it. And how about um, pulling that thread a little bit further is the, I'm thinking about family businesses where you have multiple generations or like a <laughs> really, yeah, that's a, that's a two day topic in itself. Right. But, but, but just bear with me for a sec. So families where there's multiple generations and potentially different visions, and I can use my, and my dad's example, but also partners, Anthony, and then also like ownership versus executive and what i'm thinking is like you know as owners and so see if i can clarify this even better is as a founder will kind of move more toward the ownership role where it's like hey this is more of an investment i have more say in the distributions long term i have resource allocation and maybe have a coo cfo you know cmo or something like that because they're kind of moving away but yet they have a lot of ego tied to, hey, I've been in this industry for 30 years. And by the way, I know exactly what to do about this. And, you know, so like you have this like actual separation of roles where there's operationally more executive leadership and some smart people. But there's people that want to just stir the pot because of a they might have they might deserve to be able to stir the pot because they've been in the industry long enough. Or they succeeded at, you know, at a period of time in an industry that had a specific kind of demand but now things are changed and maybe the their past experience isn't as applicable as it as they might think. <laughs> Am I making some sense here? Uh, kind of. Well, here's what I think. So basically, get out of the freaking way if you're going to get out of the way. And like I have somebody who's <laughs> – I have somebody in my – in one of our clients who I'm like, hey, you, I'm thinking about you. So I'm not going to call them by name because that wouldn't be very nice. But get out of the way because if you're going to put an executive team in place – Put an executive team in place and let them do their fucking job. Pardon my language. Yep. Uh, yep. And, um, but it comes down to alignment. Whether that's with partners, you need to be aligned on the same thing. Biggest problem that I see is partners aren't aligned. If they might be aligned here, but are they aligned here? If you think about it with a marriage, you get divorced, not when you mm-hmm. got married right away, but 10, 15 years later, because it's not turning out how you thought it would be. An executive team, same thing. They need to be aligned. They need to stay aligned on the same page. And then with a uh, owner who's moved on to, chairman of the board or president or whatever, and you've got a CEO, CEO, you got to get out of the way of that person. Otherwise you you're just actually making it worse for them. Not better. You're not helping. Uh, so it, it comes down to trust. It comes down to alignment and that needs to be fostered over time uh, for anything to be successful. Um, How do you get the, the, those people? Um, do you, do, you, do you give them a different stick and a different carrot to like give them a purpose and an identity outside of the business? Or do you kind of nudge them in a certain direction or give them some resources? Or do you just, do you just uh, give them the truth serum like you're, uh, you're dishing out today? I can't make anybody do anything. Like I can't. I, I just, and that's why I won't ever give somebody a strategic plan. That's why I won't ever give them a vision. I say, this is your plan. You said you wanted this, not me. I just asked you the question. So you're either going to the same place or you're not. And going to a different place is fine. I'd rather know now than four years from now. That's why you should do premarital counseling. Uh, but by the way, I my wife's awesome. We're five year anniversary in a week. But the point of that is, you got to have those conversations. The reason why I kind of joke that I only show up to $40,000 meetings because they're expensive. But if you're running a billion, a, a business that's 10, 20, 50, $100 million, the, that time and energy is a drop in the bucket compared to every single decision, every single person in your company is going to take for the next three years. It's a drop in the bucket. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that, dude. And, and you know what? There, there was a, I can't remember how it was put, but like strategic planning greases the wheels of decision making or something along the lines like that. <laughs> we're good. like, yeah, because like I think about how many meetings people have just trying to figure out where the hell we're going. <laughs> it's just like how much waste of time is just spent like that. So spinning, how do you... spinning around in circles is what we call it the multiple destination trap. If you don't know where you're going, you end up spinning around in circles and you don't go anywhere. And then you get frustrated, you get apathetic, people quit. And that's and going back to Google Maps. That's when Google Maps is just spinning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, nope, nope. It's uh, we're having a seizure here. So. 
with strategic planning, you know, the, my partners are helping me with this because stay focused, Ryan, stay focused, Ryan, you go do the podcasting and the content and all that stuff. And we're going to continue to execute and stay focused. Mm. What is the balance, Anthony, between staying focused, listening to the marketplace, pivoting, iterating, you know, especially depending on the stage of business that might be more important or less important, but how do you like as you're staying involved or I don't know if you stay involved over time, but how do you suggest people reassess or re, re uh, take inventory of where they're at based on the, the previous strategic plan that they might have done? Yeah, uh, my non answer to that is it depends on how frantic you are. If you're frantic and out of control, it's probably not a good idea. If it's measured and calculated, it probably is. And there's the difference between reacting and responding. And so we recommend people do their full strategic plan review once a year. They do a kind of quarterly review to make sure the progress is there. And they talk about the direction monthly. So if you are on a journey and you're going way far off course, you don't want to be going on that journey for months and months and realize, oh, we're aiming at the wrong place. So making sure that you're continually staying aligned and having those alignment conversations. But there's going to be times you have to respond. You know, COVID, that was one of them. That was one Mm -hmm. of the times where you had to go, boom, drop everything. Uh, Bank failure, you're like, boom, drop everything. A, A big customer has a great opportunity, boom, drop everything. There are those times. But there's working on the business and in the business. And you need to have mm-hmm. a good balance mm-hmm. of both to mm-hmm. keep you strategic, um, which means you're making the right choices at the right time to get you to where you want to go. So let's talk about, uh, f- thank you for filling in my uh, my blank there. <laughs> in, uh, let's talk about chat, GPT. And I think that is one of those milestones where there are certain businesses that are probably overreacting right now. And there are probably some, probably more businesses that are not reacting fast enough based on how it might impact their industry and their their situation. So how do you, maybe if some of your clients are an example, how would you take something that's a novel resource like that, that kind of changes everything potentially? How do you, how would you suggest people t- take that into consideration? Oh man. Okay. Uh, and by the way, just to give you a little bit of knowledge, I'm not saying, hey, give us every answer you think about about chat specifically. I'm just no, thinking about of course, of course. <laughs> I, I, I think it just it's going to be different for everybody. Some people are early adopters. Some people are late adopters. Some people will put their head in the sand and ignore it. And new technology sometimes can be a distraction. And sometimes you're an innovator. And sometimes you're a laggard. I don't think that's the right thing. You're going to do what you're going to do. If you're smart, you've got people on the team to look at it for you and present a use case, business case. I'm not touching it, maybe at my own detriment, but I'm cool. As in, I've got my plan. My plan doesn't include chat GPT. I don't see it as important enough, whereas, whereas some people might say, oh, you know, this is the hot new thing. It's shiny object syndrome. I try to avoid it. And, and would your suggestion be whether it's that? And again, it was that was kind of an example that's top of mind. But anything that's particular to an industry, just then incorporate into that into the monthly check-ins, quarterly check-ins, as long as they're not frantically doing the whiplash and changing direction immediately without communicating with people. It's. I mean, sometimes it happens. You need to, but is, is it core? Bring it up, discuss it, talk about it. If it's critical, test it, work through. As long as you have a system for communicating things like that, trends is kind of the high level. We include that in our strategic plans. Then you're probably covering your bases. Uh, I had a conversation with today, and I have to wrap up soon, uh, about like ESG, that environmental sustainability. And so like it's becoming more and more important to this organization's supply chain, and it's no longer optional. Well, okay, mm-hmm. great. Let's incorporate mm-hmm. it. Let's move with it. But if we just dropped everything, it probably wouldn't work for the business either. So it's finding the right balance for you. Got it. All right. A couple last questions as we wrap up. Is there any question that I should have asked that I'm not asking? Oh, man. Uh, I think the only thing would be how can you bring up the conversations about misalignment with your team um, because it's uncomfortable. So what I tell people is focus on the process. Don't focus on an individual. Don't blame Mm. your CEO. Don't blame an executive. Just be like, hey, are we on the same page about this? Do we see this the same way? Uh, We have a scorecard to do that because it's uncomfortable. Focus on the process and not the person. Um, And then I think that's probably the biggest one, just being able to call it out and feel comfortable. Uh, If there was one thing I'd want 
any leader to create with their team is psychological safety. If they create mm. that safety, then it has the space for people to present something like GPT or any other kind of challenges without uh, being shot down right away, but creating a good system to filter opportunities. Ooh, that was good, my friend. Um, so last question, and then we'll get your contact information. Last question is the word intentional. I love it. It's the name of the show. And based on what you do, I'm very interested to hear your definition of what the word intentional means. You've got a core intent and you make sure you deliver on it. If it's like not it. delivering on your intent, why are we wasting air? Then where can people find you? Uh, Anthony C. Taylor on the internet, uh, smestrategy.net. Uh, you can listen to Ryan and I's podcast on the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. And then if you're looking for a strategic planning facilitator, um, somebody to come to your meeting, make sure it stays focused and on track. You can reach out to us uh, there as well. Anthony, thank you so much for coming on the show, my friend. This has been a lot of fun. It's my, my pleasure, brother. I hope we can do this again and for several <laughs> more hours. Let's just do I it. I love it. Thanks, dude. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Anthony as much as I did. You can tell I'm very passionate about once ownership figures out what the hell they want and why, what are their target goals, what resources are going to be available to leadership, then spend the time refining your strategic plan so that way all of the resources from the company are pointed towards that target equity valuation that make ownership worth it and they are all of the trade-offs are taken in consideration the strategic planning process is so crucial and i think it's really important that people understand the difference between strategic planning and eos and traction i did a episode years ago i think a year or two ago with greg meredith about the difference between strategic planning and eos but my suggestion would be as a kind of a summary and wrap up of this mini series if Ownership determines their target equity valuation at a point in time. You can back into then what is the distributions, taxes, and additional availability of reinvestment that can then fund that target equity valuation. Once ownership has figured that out, then you can go to leadership and say, okay, how do we take this business, this entity that has goods or services and point it in the right direction where you can have the highest competitive advantage and use, utilize your resources that we have constraints of in the highest and best use, aka intentional growth, so that way you can accomplish your long-term goals. And so if you don't know if your financials are aligned with your long-term goals, go check out the Intentional Growth Financial Scorecard. It takes less than 20 minutes. You get four responses that are custom with four scores so you understand how well you're running the company as a financial asset and what you might need to do in order to improve that. And then you get an overall score that with on the results page with five videos on with a case study so you can see what good looks like instead of having to guess. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And I really hope you enjoyed this mini-series on ownership and leadership alignment.